still got one man up and Jonathan Joseph comes straight through the middle. Got Mike Brown to beat as the last line of defence and here goes Joseph. Joseph's going to get over. Watson goes on the outside. Oh, Watson goes magnificently on the outside. Hello and welcome to the Bath Rugby Plug, the rugby podcast by the fans for the fans, plugging the boys in blue, black and white. My name is Gabriel and I'm joined as ever by my good friend and fellow Bath fan, Tom. Tom, how are you? Very good, mate. How are you? I am good. I'm delighted this week um, to be joined by another friend of the podcast. Um, Podcasting royalty, I think we've got on this week, Tom. We're we're really (laughs) upping our guests. Um, JB from the Egg Chasers podcast. Welcome, JB. Hello, lads. I think without... Sorry, Jay. I think without kind of you, JB the podcast wouldn't exist and um, the last time we had a formal sit down about rugby was uh, a hazy weekend in Madrid when you persuaded us it was a good idea to to do this and after the last few weeks I'm, I'm, I'm kind of blaming you for, for having to re-watch those games well do you know what funny enough I was thinking today I was like oh yeah I'm looking forward to doing this podcast so went off and uh, sketched out some notes mostly about Stuart Hooper in fact exclusively about Stuart Hooper <laughs> and I was thinking like how do I know Gabriel I, I do know him, but like how? I would just assume would they listen to the podcast? And I thought, no, last time we spoke was actually in Madrid. Yeah. <laughs> you, are, you, are, you are responsible or maybe maybe to blame. Um, <laughs> I don't know whether our listeners will be thanking you or um, or not with our endless drones about Bath losing another week. But yes, it's, it's good to catch up, um, albeit in a, in a strangely sober environment, on um, not, in a, not in a pub. Yeah, shame really, shame. But hey, we can do that again soon. Well, from today, yeah. But um, yeah, pulled together a little bit too late to organise that, but surely sometime in the future. And I think it's perfect week to get you on, JB. Obviously, people that listen to, to HS's podcast or even go on to, to Twitter at any point will know you're a pretty staunch uh, fan of the neutral or, or sale, whatever you want to say. I am a neutral, um, as you well know. So, so it's good to have you on to talk about the, the defeat to sale, which we are going to kind of touch on at the start. But I think it's also good to, to get you on because I think me and Tom have gone over and over a little bit about our thoughts and the direction of the club and kind of the lack of direction of the club. And I think getting your input on that as well, um, we're looking forward to because I think it might, um, yeah, I think it provide a different perspective on, on Bath and one that I think a lot of our fans have been kind of itching for, for us to say. So yeah, look, looking forward to having you on. Do you mean do you mean touch on some of the uh, globally important issues at the club? <laughs> One of the best sound bites of all, of all time in rugby. Globally important. Is it globally important? <laughs> well, no, not really, mate. Because you're playing rugby. It's not Israel Palestine, but still. <laughs> no, it's not Israel Palestine, but um, yeah, I think we were expecting uh, quite a gritty game, lads. But we got a good game. On on so on Friday night, um, a twenty twenty four loss. Um, JB, were you you? I think you were disappointingly surprised at how good a game it was. I think you enjoyed the the previous three three and six three that's been at the. Yeah, record. people think I'm joking when I say this. Uh, I'm not. I really do mean it. I remember watching the six three uh, the sale one at the AJ Bell, and it was just so tense. The one I remember most is. The one when Sale were camped on the bath line. Sale went over for a try after 10 minutes of scrummaging, yellow cards, resets, right in the corner, pouring down rain. I, I mean, I really like these games because the beauty of the premiership is the contrast in styles. Look, Bristol Bears are playing now and they're throwing the ball everywhere and it's, it's okay. It's good. 
But I like the fact that Exeter exists, and I like the fact that Bath and Sale can get into it. And that's the beauty of the Premiership. So I do actually relish these very tight arm wrestle games. I think Bath and Sale, for whatever reason, just bring the worst out of each other or the best out of each other, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, I think they do. Um, I think they're, they're quite similar, aren't they? I think they both want to be physical. They both want to dominate yeah. the, the game line, the set piece. Um, and they both want to beat you up. And I think Sale are a hell of a lot better at it than, than Bath are at the moment. Uh, there's no question. I think Sale gave every chance to Bath on, on Friday night, Tom. I think 20, 21 penalties, three yellow cards. Um, and we just weren't able to, to, to capitalise on, on the opportunities they gifted us. Yeah, I was having a look down the kind of, you know, the match stats and they don't always kind of tell the tell the full story at all. But I think if you'd if you'd kind of removed the final score and the, you know, the number of tries uh, scored from each team and just looked at the stats, you'd have felt pretty confident that that Bath would have got the win in that game as you say, 21 penalties. Um the second half in particular you know, obviously led to those those three yellow cards, five penalties at the scrum as well. And I think Sale coughed up the ball on 12 occasions, so 12 handling errors, which, um, you know, JB might be able to comment more on this, but I'm looking at kind of Sale's performance, I don't think Sale played particularly well. And I think Alex Anderson looked pretty pretty pissed off at the end of the game. And I think he his message will be, we got the win. It was, it, you know, that that's ultimately an important thing. But... We didn't play well, and we could have easily lost that game against the team who was a bit more clinical um, when when they got close to their line. Yeah, I think everything you've said there is spot on. Uh, I don't think Sale played well. I don't think they played well at all. And like many of the sports, styles make matchups. I think yeah. Sale, for whatever reason, it is struggle with Bath. I think Bath just know what they're doing, particularly when they've got the younger, more energetic lads on. They weirdly enough, when Bath came to the AJ Bell. I was lucky enough to watch them live and they just looked like they outworked them. They were really enthusiastic. Like Bath have some things going for them, which I think are genuinely brilliant. They just can't knit it all together. So this game is no different. And I think where they lost it, and I can't believe I'm saying this because I said it as a joke, but it turns out it might be true. Are those yellow cards for sale? Those yellow cards turn the game. In what way? Well, it puts your position in a very curious position, doesn't it? Because if you've conceded uh, two yellow cards as a team, then your opposition, the onus is on them to score. So they get to, say, two minutes in, they're not scored. They're not panicking. They get to five minutes in, they're thinking, bloody hell, we need to score now. They get to eight minutes in, and then thinking, okay, any second now, they're going to go back up to 14. And then when the 10-minute period is, is over for the second yellow card it then plays straight into Sale's hands because they've, they've repelled Bath for so long that the momentum just automatically swings. And this happened in at least three Sale games. They have been down to 13 men against Wasps. I think they did it against someone else. And it's remarkable stuff to watch. But for Bath, it was a disaster because you need to score those points. And if you don't, when Sale get all of their players back, well, then now you've got some real questions to answer. Yeah. And it's, it's not. Only, I completely agree with that. And it's not only not scoring from a Bath point of view, but you could see from a sale perspective, every time Tom Curry got the turnover close to the line, every time we coughed up the ball or the, the mall got collapsed and it was, it was Sale scrum, Sale grew in energy yeah. and confidence. And so it's almost a score for Sale when they do that. And then when those guys come back on, they're thinking, well, we can, we can defend these guys with 13. So exactly. we, can, we can win the game with, with, with 15. And I was just watching some of the... 
the Bristol game and, and the Bristol Gloucester game just before we were recording. And Ben Kay was was making the point that teams sometimes try a little bit too hard to score when they know that they should in that 10-minute period. Yes. Whereas actually the most important thing is just to be accurate. And if we'd been accurate, if we'd got our, our, our driving walls set up well enough, like we've done for most of this season, um, and if we'd just been not coughed up the ball when we were, we were bearing down on the sail line and trying to kind of force that try, we might have been a bit more successful. But I but, think you're right. We just mounted the pressure on top of us a little bit. But isn't, isn't the point that we, we shouldn't take three minutes, five minutes, eight minutes of those yellow card periods to score? We saw when, when Sale, when, when, when we lost Charlie Ewells in the end of, towards the end of the game and Sale kicked to the corner, it took them 90 seconds to score. Why does it take Bath three minutes, five minutes, eight minutes, you say, Jake, to score or even not score, and then get repelled each time. It's, I just think it's something different. It felt like it's something different every week. Like, I was laughing because I saw Carl Eastman today retiring, um, and yeah, kind of, I've heat praise on him. I know you have as well, JB, on your podcast. Yeah, love the guy. Kind of how good a player he was. And, and in, that, in that 2015 team, it was kind of the triple threat of Ford, Eastman, Joseph. And if Ford didn't get you, Eastman would, or if Eastman and Ford didn't get you, Joseph would. It's like for Bath fans, the triple threat of the set piece. If the lineup doesn't get you, then okay, the mall the mall will mess up. And if the mall and the lineup go okay, no, sorry, the scrum and the lineup go okay, which they did on this occasion, then it's going to be something else. It's the mall, and I just think yeah. our ability to to kind of protect the ball from yeah big guys like you know John Luke Dupree, Dan Dan Dupree, and 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 kind of you know that big sale pack Curry. But our inability to protect the ball from those guys and, and kind of keep it in the mall and drive them over was, was just not good enough. And then we saw we weren't able to repel sale in, in a similar way. And I think, yeah, the yellow cards, if you, do, if you are able to defend them, they do kind of breathe life into the opposition. But you shouldn't, you shouldn't defend them. We should be well enough coached and we should be well enough drilled and we should be nailed on that if it's 13 men and we've got a line out kind of Five meters out, bang! You should get that, and don't, and then don't give them an opportunity to to kind of breathe life into into in, back into their performance. Yeah, do you know the thing which must be so frustrating about being a Bath fan, and actually just observing Bath actually, are the moments of magic that they can create. And you look through the season, and you see the different things they can do. So I'll give you an example. In fact, I'll give you a minor example. Even the kicking went so well that your kicker's got a record. You've <laughs> Had a team who are the most dangerous team in the red zone for about five games. I mean, that is genuinely amazing. You've had a team which for a short time had an incredible line-out drive. You had a team for a short time that has been able to dominate people in scrums. And a team for a short time every single game that can take the lead. And you think, well, we know they can do all these things, but why can't they do it at the same time? And I, I don't know. I, I don't have the answer. And I don't think that Stuart Hooper has the answer. And this is the problem, isn't it? It's, it's the eternal problem. Do you know what I think to that point? I think that's right. We, we almost need like, the perfect storm of a game for us to try and um, execute whatever one of those weapons that you're talking. We need everything to go our way. We need decisions to go our way. And we need the opposition, essentially, as Sale have done in the past, to, to play into our hands a little bit. Mm. One thing that watching Bath through the season, we... I've just shown we can't do is adapt during a game. Yeah. You know, you, 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 for example, in the game against Bristol, the first half, the Bath tactic was very clear. We're going to um, try and do what Sale did and be all over Callum Sheedy and not let him get the ball out to those, to those wide runners. 
they obviously Pat Lam had told them at half time just drop slightly further back and then that you know they won't be able to smother in the same way and we just aren't able to make those small adjustments in games to to to, to make our game plan work for us we have a plan A and then if that doesn't work as we were saying last week it's plan A try harder you know that's a really astute observation that because it does feel like Bath come out and for those 10 minutes whatever the plan is it can be executed but do not try and change that plan mid-game because otherwise their they, they heads blow up. And that's, Jay, that's why we, we find ourselves 14-0 up after the first 10 minutes because it's and working. And then teams that's adapt you get the money on. and it doesn't work. And then that's why we start to find oh, these, these just excruciatingly painful but almost amusing ways of losing games um, in the second half. Yeah. yeah. Every week, Stuart Hooper comes on to, to, to speak to the press and, and we are going to get into to Stuart Hooper in a lot more detail kind of later on in the podcast. But he comes on and he says oh, well, we did this really well, they adapted, and we weren't able to kind of counter-adapt. And it's like, you're almost kind of telling on yourself there. You're almost like saying, you know, <laughs> I wasn't able to, to re-adapt them. And my, my, my leaders on the field kind of weren't able to, to realise what, what um, Sale or Bristol or whoever had done, and then kind of, yeah, counter-attack that. And it's almost like, it's almost weirdly, he's kind of like telling on himself in a way. So... Really interesting to mention that. Josh McNally, a few weeks ago, was up doing press for Bath on one of the Zoom calls. And he said something which has haunted me, like keeps me up at night. And he said, we lost that game. I can't remember which one it was. It could have been one of many. (laughs) Because the senior players were too busy being concerned about coaching the junior players through the game rather than working on what they had to do. And I thought, bloody hell, that's one hell of admission. Because, well, it just is, isn't it? I mean, you should be, as a leader, the whole point of leading is to do it by example, not yeah. to do it by telling. Now, I think McNally is one of your good guys, actually. In fact, I think, I think they're all good guys. But you know, that does play into exactly what you just said. Yeah, and, and, and I think the, the leadership on the field and, and kind of, I accept you can get messages down uh, from, from um, the the. the the coaching where the coach just sat, you can get messages down through Luke Charteris running on with water, which he always seems to be doing. And you can clearly get messages across in the, mm. the 10, 15 minutes you have in the, in the, in the halftime break. But the onus has to fall on those leaders. And I think Charlie also was a guy who, who appeared to be dropped for this game and, and came on late on and then, uh, uh, and then got a yellow card. Is that, is, he didn't start, did he? Uh, Nally and Spencer. Was it? Yeah. No, Spencer and Spencer and... Yeah. No, I so, think it was yeah. Spencer and you, Spencer Newell's. Okay, right. So even worse for him. I think, you know, we've we've really questioned him over the last few weeks and and I know Bath fans are and I think it's a combination of not being able to adapt at half-time, not being able to get the correct messages on, not being able to uh, kind of in the week explain kind of a plan B or a plan C or, or kind of a variation on plan A, but it's also, you know, an owner kind of ownership of that has to fall on, on Charlie Ewell's and, and also guys like, um, Chudley and, and, and Will uh, Ben Spencer at scrum half and, and Priestland at fly half and Joseph at kind of uh, Joseph didn't play but kind of all these experienced guys the onus has to fall on them and I know that that the, the, the coaches have a responsibility but I, again I'm left disappointed by the on-field leadership from from Bath on-field on leadership and again this isn't just an, an overt dig but doesn't the on-field leadership mirror the off-field leadership. So yeah, when probably. you try and pin down something on Hooper, he gives you some kind of management answer. And you can see why you could escape 
uh, you could escape accountability throughout the squad if you too gave a management type answer. So, you know, it wasn't globally important. It would be a great one. Well, what's to say that the players don't come off and say, yeah, we tried really hard, but hey, look, it wasn't globally important. I mean, why can't I do that uh, uh, as a player? And I do wonder if that communication style is starting to rub off. If everyone... It's just an impression I get, and I don't know if I can substantiate this in any way. But if everyone in the team buys into the message of a coach sometimes it's very very good and other times it can be destructive and I think in this case it might be destructive because everybody buys into Stuart Hooper's uh, lo- um, slogans and uh, you know the things he says but I don't think that that says it can be very, very useful because that's half of rugby. It's about all going in the same direction and that's fine. And Stuart Hooper uses this trick quite a lot. So in in the same scenario where, you know, the coach's overall emphasis is, hey, you've got to be a team player. We've got to pull in the right direction. And it sometimes means that you aren't able to properly question. And when you can't properly question, that in turn leads to something quite, quite destructive. And I wonder if... When these senior players are saying things like, yeah, we were too busy trying to coach the players through it, or, you know, they they can somehow avoid responsibility for not performing in the game or not doing the things they're supposed to on the field by sounding like Stuart Hooper. So they can act like a professional, they can talk like a professional, but they're just not finishing off. It's almost like play, play acting for rugby. And I wonder if there's an element of that, because I don't think the way that Stuart Hooper talks about the game, certainly to the press leads you to believe that his players are adequately equipped to question what's going on. And that means that you're not accountable. That's just a thought that I've had. I have no way to substantiate that. Actually, the way I would substantiate that is when I talk to the players, and I've spoken to a handful of them, they are effervescent with praise, praise for Hooper. Mm. Absolutely. You know, they, they, they are, um, some of them, at least the ones that I've spoken to, absolutely love him. So it's just trying to kind of square that circle. Why is it that they can love him so much and yet they still don't really do what they need to do on the weekend? Well, I think the obvious, potentially the obvious answer to that would be, does he just act in these and just just um, use these platitudes and this management speak when he's talking to the press and encourages players to do the same? And then is he actually, as I would suspect, very different behind behind closed doors. I mean, let's not forget, he, he, was, he was Bath captain for, yeah. for five seasons. And I, I just don't believe that someone, you know, with a, you know, with a, with, with, who's read a management textbook and, and knows how, and is media trained, could, could do that. So, you know, the players would not be so, as you say, effervescent with praise for him, I don't believe, if he was like that behind closed doors. I think he is a genuinely good leader. I think that, the way he deals with the press is frustrating for a lot of fans and maybe leads them to question actually what he does behind, behind closed doors. Um, and I think just, just to add to that, you know, you, you mentioned the, the kind of the word coach. And I think we should clarify, like he, he unlike some DORs, so Pat Lamb, for example, Alex Sanderson, mm. who, ha- who are coaches and actually are involved with coaching of players in, in the week. Stuart Hooper is, is not. He's got no coaching qualifications. His job is as far as I can see threefold. So, firstly, he talks to the media and yep. with limited effectiveness, as as we've as we've you know, he doesn't exactly um, bestow much confidence in you when he speaks to the media. His his second job is to run 
um, recruitment and squad management. So squad management being retention of players and recruitment of, of new players. And his, his third job, which again, we could, we could discuss, is that he actually picks the team on, on a weekly basis. So, really? Yeah. So, so he, I think he, when, when we're talking about how individual players are performing on the field, obviously it comes from the top and he is ultimately accountable for what happens. But I would like to see a little bit more focus on the guys who are actually coaching. So Neil Hatley, Gervin Dempsey, Luke Charteris, because mm-hmm. I don't feel like you can blame Hooper for, for absolutely everything that is, that is happening on the field because he's not actually responsible for that coaching element. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that because when you have these discussions, it's so easy just to get on the bandwagon and say, he's rubbish, he's rubbish, he's, he's rubbish. Um, for various, you know, for various diff, diff, different reasons. But actually, in the case of Hooper, that's not actually what I think. I think there's a load of reasons that he's a, a bloody, uh, you know, a, a, a bloody good guy. One of the things you've got to put into the category of Bath doing well is indeed how they are scouting and signing players and developing players. Uh, I've got a little list here of like McConaughey, Reed, Bayless, uh-huh. if I will, you're from nowhere. Um, you know, They've got a list of players which they develop really well. So I've always, I always say this, somebody at Bath is doing something really, really well. So before I go off and criticise him too much, it's very important to recognise, yes, he does do these, or somebody, whether it's him or not, does do these things rather well. And actually, if you're talking to some of the younger players, I guess they would like him because they did, uh, he did bring, bring them through, through the system. Hmm. Yeah, and maybe I'll just, sorry, Jude, maybe I'll just, make the case a little bit on 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 the back of that point JB around around squad squad management and and which players he signed and which players he's let go as well because i actually think that that is something that he has done really well over the over the the period that he's been in charge so he he came in um, obviously towards the end of that 2019 season when when Todd Blackadder was was let go at mm. that point we had a a recruitment um, head of recruitment or whoever who was a, who was a french guy who who left about a a year or so ago and is now, now kind of no longer involved. So Hooper is, as I understand it, kind of responsible for that overall squad makeup. And at the end of that 2019 season, he made like quite a significant number of changes to the, to the Bath squad. And he changed the composition of it from being a squad that was dominated by older players who were probably past their peak, potentially overpaid, um, and had been brought in, in some cases, as injury cover. So just to read out a few names, um, you know, Dave Atwood, uh, Paul Grant, James Wilson, uh, Khan Fotowali, Cooper Vuna, Anthony Peronise, Michael Van Buren, Max Laheef, Jamie Roberts. Those guys were, I would say, most of them fit into that category and those guys were, were let go, right? How were uh, how Max, Max Laheef and Dave Atwood? Dave Atwood has been last okay. there. I mean, Bristler paying his pension, which is, which is nice. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and he, perfectly fair points. And he brought in, so just some names that he brought in, so Lewis Boyce, Christian Judge, Will Stewart, Mike Williams, Josh McNally, Miles Reed was promoted from the academy that year, um, Will Vaughan, Sam Nixon, Ollie Fox, Tom de Glanville was promoted from the academy, Josh Matavesi, Cameron Redpath, and then more latterly, Ben Spencer, um, and any others that I'm missing off. But if, if you just think of the ins and outs there, that's fundamental changes to the squad. And I think those are changes that, have been positive and that most most Bath Rugby fans have, have have been on board with. And that being his primary role, he's actually done a pretty decent job in, in that yeah. regard. Yeah, and there's also 
mean, if you talk to people around the game, uh, I've actually got a David Flat- Flatman quote, uh, and I don't mind uh, repeating this, but he, when we were speaking about the potential of Hooper going to DOR, just says an outstanding individual. And for me, I mean, that does say, say, say an awful lot. Uh, I also think he deserves a huge amount of credit because the job he's doing at the moment as DOR, he could have done that, couldn't he, as like a team executive. He could have stepped away from the rugby, not put on a tracksuit, done that very safely with rather large pay and not have any risk at all. So for him to step up and take that risk also deserves some credit and a bit of praise. And I think the other important point about Bath, and this is what I guess more important for you guys, if you're going to consider replacing him in, in the long term, um, who is there in the world of rugby who could come into Bath and be able not to manage down to the players, because that's the easy part, manage up to the ownership because I, I don't know if anyone's qualified to do that. He probably might be the most qualified guy in rugby to do that. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think it would take a certain, it takes a certain personality, doesn't it, to, to answer to, to Bruce Craig and, and also Tarkin McDonald, who, who undoubtedly has kind of a, a huge hand in, in a lot of what goes on at, at Bath. Um, and I think it does take a certain personality. Um, but just going back to what you guys are saying, I, I, I just think the use of the media, I just think is so important. I think both for, mm. for Stuart Hooper... I just think he has to understand that the Bath fans are so frustrated. And I think he has to recognise that the media can be so useful. Like he, he, he needs to stop seeing it as the enemy and he needs to, yeah. to be able to harness it. It's the, it's the conduit between the club, the players that you see, 15 players and the fans. The media is that kind of link. So he needs to stop seeing it as the enemy and kind of try and use it to, to his advantage. Uh, and I think also the way that the club uses the media, I, I, I don't think it's good enough. I, I think there needs to be more face time of Hatley in particular, and also from Gervin Dempsey, who the attack coach, who, who might as well not have been there for, for the two years that, 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 that he's that he's kind of has been there apparently. And I think the club have to to um, use use the media to show the the, the, the face of Hatley because I think that was starting to take the pressure off off Hooper a bit. Yeah. And, and, you know, Hatley's another guy who is remarkably well-regarded throughout rugby. Anyone who's played for him really likes him. JB, does that look like a well-coached pack to you on Friday night? In parts. And I think that's the problem, isn't it? In parts. I'll get into that a little bit later, like why I think that element of it is a problem. Because, actually, no, I'll do it now. Yeah, go on. Because, you know, say if I look at Steve Borthwick, and I've been talking a lot about Steve Borthwick recently, because... I, I, so look, there's a guy that should have been your director of rugby, your old club captain, uh, made his name at Bath. That, that's the guy that you should have had. Anyway, you listen to him and he just says, we're going to do A, B, C. That's what we're going to do. We're going to be good at that and then we'll work out the rest later. Now, some other coaches decide to come in and go, okay, let's assess what we have here, pick out the worst bits and then try and improve it. The problem with Bath is you're broadly speaking pretty good at everything. Yeah. And then every now and again, it falls off a cliff. And I reckon there's a sort of like a scattergun approach. Okay, we'll fix the lineup. Well, the lineup looks great this week. Right, we'll go and fix something else. Instead of just focusing on one or two things or three things, they tend to go, you know, one week it seems to be defense. One, uh, one week it seems to, be, seems to be line out. And I wonder if that's because it's a pretty competent team throughout, but there's no overriding personality or they don't know what they stand for. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like... To kind of- to, to use a cricketing analogy, it's almost like 
you know, you chase the ball, like the batsman hits it there in the field and then, you, you know, you put a fielder there to stop that and then you hit it somewhere else. Yes. It seems like, seems like Bath are kind of, we hit it through, they hit it through there, you know, the line out goes to pass. They spend a week to, to focus on the line out. That's fine. But then he hits it in a different part and the mall doesn't work or the backs aren't linked or, and it just feels like we're constantly kind of plugging gaps um, in, in the, in, in the team without actually kind of developing globally uh, as a word that you would like to use or, or who provides yeah. he's kind of developing as a team we're just constantly plugging holes here there and everywhere I think I think one of the issues that that, that causes that and it's something that I've I've raised before so if you look at the coaching structure of of Bath Hatley is kind of head coach and he does he, he's responsible for a lot he's responsible for forwards um, and and defence essentially, which is quite a, a big remit. And I I looked at a lot of the other clubs in in the Premiership, and we are I believe the only uh, club without a named defence coach. So um, Wasps have got Mike Costello, uh, Sale of is it's Mike Forshaw, isn't it? Julian Julian Salvi, even Harlequins have um, have a named defence coach in Jerry Fannery, and, and Bath don't. And I. I think with Hooper not having qualifications, with Charteris being a very new coach, having only retired a couple of seasons ago, and then you know some some pathway coaches as well who focus on the younger guys in academies, you're left with two senior coaches, Neil Hatley and Gervin Dempsey, to to kind of try and solve the whole problem. And you know you look at the whole rugby department, and we've got umpteen sports psychologists, S coaches, performance analysts, all this kind of thing, but no named defence coach. And I think it shows. <laughs> Very good point. I think it shows. Um, you know, we, yeah. we just look like we, fo- we focus on one issue and then a team can tweak what they're doing and expose the thing that we maybe didn't have time to train on um, in the week gone by. And I, you know, I, I, I just do not understand how, how we can think that that's a sensible model. Yeah. And uh, the answer is you might need even more people in the rugby department. So yeah. I look at Hooper and I think, who does he remind me of? Two coaches, one which wasn't successful. Jordan Murphy and the other one who is now successful but for all the world shouldn't have been is um, what's your boy at Leinster called forgotten his name now Cullen uh, yeah, Leo Cullen. Cullen now the difference between Leo Cullen is when he started to flounder a bit they bought in oh, who they bring in to start with it was Graham Henry on Zoom he, he was consulting with him on Zoom then eventually Stuart Lancaster, Stuart Lancaster joined and I just think, who is coaching Hooper? Because he isn't a coach, but he could he could really do with some help. Isn't isn't that Hatley's role? Isn't uh, were we meant to get Hatley from England after the 2019 World Cup? And wasn't he meant to kind of lead the rugby department forward? Isn't that what he was meant to do? Well, so he's mm. got forwards. He's got forwards, defence, and Hooper coaching in his room. Then seems a lot. Seems <laughs> a lot in fact, yeah, if you just got rid of Hooper, then he would have one less job. <laughs> I think I think we've kind of successfully made the case there for Hooper um, and I'm conscious Jay that you probably now want to make the case against Hooper or, or kind of why we should maybe be considering well no um, I think I've persuaded myself that I want to keep him now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who would you replace him with as well I think is, a, is well is, you know who I'd replace him with but I know yeah certain Steve Diamond Steve Diamond you're, you're effectively his agent at this point, JB. Yeah, what happened? What's the story there, actually? Because, you know, at one point, weren't you banned from the sale uh, media department? And now you're getting Christmas cards from him and trying to get him a new job. Yeah, so that's not entirely what happened. What happened <laughs> is 
there was I got wind of a story from Mar- about Marlon Yard signing, and I decided to tweet the story because I hear lo- lots of stories and because of and that's not a brag. It's just because on the podcast I talk about sale, and I had a semi okay relationship with sale at the time. So what would happen is as soon as someone heard a sale rumor, I'd just get a text. But they had an incredibly, incredibly incompetent media guy who has since left. And just nothing got done. It's hard to contact. He wouldn't give you a yes. He wouldn't give you a no. It's hard hard to know how much the guy even knew. He didn't sign for Bath, did he? (laughs) (laughs) I think your media media people are okay. I I, I think they're good. Um, Anyway, he retired. uh, And when he retired, um, I felt that the whole sale comms situation really uh, picked up and it was great. So yeah, I said, to be honest, the best thing about Steve Diamond is the amount of access he gives people and the amount of things that he tells people. Now, admittedly, it's only things that he wants you to know, but at least you get to know things and he'll tell you things that other people won't. And people don't like some of the things that he says or some of the ways that he behaves, but you can only be yourself. And you can, you know, you can't knock him, but that is what he is through and through. But one, one, guy think, who, one guy who's not going to like, I don't think, who Steve, who Steve Diamond is and kind of what he says and what he does, and we touched on it earlier, is surely Bruce Craig. And, and can you see any world in which that relationship works successfully? I really can, you know. Steve <laughs> Diamond is one of the most charismatic men you'll ever meet when he wants to be. And Steve Diamond has come through rugby, I would say, the hard way. Uh, he's played at local club level. He's not from a wealthy background. And yet, not only is he a director, or was he a director of rugby, with a very good record, he's also got like a suite of other businesses. The people that he hangs around with are very, very wealthy men. In fact, the reason that Sale is owned by a billionaire and a multi-multi-millionaire is because Diamond knows these guys. You know, this is the sort of circles that he hangs around with, far more so than normal DORs. I mean, Diamond doesn't even need to be a DOR. He just does it because he likes it. So I think he would be a good guy, A, to shake everybody up, but B, also to liaise with, with, uh, with Bruce Craig because he knows what it is to be around these mega wealthy individuals. I mean, ultimately, one of the sales owners owns the Mawson Group, which is enormous. I mean, it's absolutely huge. So, yeah, I think he'd be good. It wasn't the whole point. The, the, re- the reason he left sale was obviously he, was, you know, he, had, he had family issues and, and that kind of thing. So what, why would he, having left rugby to get, to get away from it for a bit and obviously living in, um, up, up in the north, being king of the north, why would he move to, to the West Country and take on a, a new job? I thought he wanted to be out of, of rugby for a while. It's a good question. It's a good question. And I think, that'd be, I think that might be your challenge. I think your challenge might be persuading him to come back because there is no need for him to be there. I think he would be, and I don't know this. I have no idea. I think he'd be very happy being on BT Sport once every weekend. Yeah. You know, he's been at the grindstone for God knows how long now. Um, he saved teams from... I, I kid you not, if Steve Diamond hadn't been involved with Sale we would not have professional rugby in the Northwest, which effectively means the whole of the North of England until you get to Newcastle would not have a professional team because Leeds wouldn't be here. Uh, and people forget that. People um, see Steve Dunn for what they want to see rather than what, what he actually is, which is a bloody good rugby mind. But, so yeah. I, would, yeah. I, w- I wouldn't think twice about getting him in. But, well, but we need, okay, we don't need the, the rugby in the Southwest saving. We, we kind of want to win trophies and... and Steve Diamond won what one Anglo Welsh competition in 
eight, nine years was he at Sale? So, so what, why, why do you think he'd be more successful in getting the best out of these players and getting us actually to be successful again? Because he has got a proven track record of getting the most out, out of players. Now, I will say this, and this is where it gets a bit sketchy. Is there a different skill set required for getting any player you can lay your hands on, which is effectively what Dimes was doing for God knows how long, as he used to call it, shopping in Audi, uh, and then making them perform well, which he undoubtedly did, compared to getting the most out of world-class players. Now, you've got to remember, after Clerk signed for Sale Sharks, and he was effectively a nobody. He was behind, he was the second choice scrum half for the Lions. He had something like eight South Africa caps. No one was interested. And I can't remember who the other guy was ahead of him, but someone else was, was ahead of him. Well, he's come in and now he's, and now he's world champion. James O'Connor came as a guy who was lost his way in Toulon. He left to go, go back to Australia and now he's captaining the Reds. So he can't, oh, Danny Cipriani has never been as good as when he was in, well, maybe. Maybe that's a stretch. But yeah, there are a lot of guys who come in to play for Steve Diamond and then they realise their potential. Now, I'm not saying it would work for everyone. Manny, Manny Tuolangi, Chris Ashton, the list goes on. <laughs> well, look, well, Chris Ashton's had a check, a check of pass. <laughs> if time's concentrating him out, I, won't, I wonder who can. <laughs> so it's, it's, go on, Tom. No, I was just going to say, I think you, you, you touched on the point there about kind of Bath having... Uh, at times kind of an embarrassment of riches and it's a very different skill set managing a team that is yes. playing a lot of international rugby spending right at the cap um, right below the cap we should say um, yeah. and um, then, then kind of playing with players that you can afford and, and that kind of thing and that was kind of one of the other points I wanted to make I feel like because Stuart Hooper is the main man talks to the media etc as we've said I feel like sometimes that means that he takes the brunt of the criticism mm-hmm. when actually there are players in the squad that have just simply not stepped up on a consistent enough basis and they don't really get called out because, you know, they tend... Thinking? Well, I'll, I'll give some examples. So one guy I've been critical of in a bath shirt of late is, is Toby Falatel. Um, mm. I, I think he's, he's a million dollars and he'll go to South Africa and he'll look incredible and everyone will say he's the best number eight in the world and, and all this kind of thing. And then he'll come back for Bath. He won't look particularly up for it. He might play one good game in, in, in six or seven um, when, when, and it, that'll be a game that we're comfortably winning and, and he won't necessarily step up when the, you know, when the chips are down another guy who I think just looked all out of sorts is Jonathan Joseph who was a lion last time out he's been playing for, obviously he's been dropped for England and instead of kind of taking that as right I'm going to show um, everyone how good I am in the Premiership he's just gone missing and you compare that to Max Clark who, who was one of the standout guys for Bath at the weekend so I just think sometimes Hooper bears the brunt, not only for the coaches, and he's not involved in coaching, but he also bears the brunt for some of these players who, frankly, given the, the standard they played at, should be, should be doing a better job. So can I address both those, both those players uh, quickly? Of course, yeah. So on Falatau, you are right, although he has had some wonderful performances. Heartbreaking thing about Bath is when they drop the guys like Reed or Bayless because they perceive other guys with the bigger names to come in and do a better job. Money play. Like they don't, yeah, they don't realise what they have. And I think some of these losses that you've incurred are pure team selection losses where you've got, you're building up ahead of steam, the lads are playing well. I was like, oh, by the way, um, Balatel's back and Underhill's fit and all these, and then just change them en masse. Now I get doing one or doing, you know, one off the bench, but just to get rid of the guys who won from last week and are doing well last week and 
getting in Falatau doesn't strike me as right. I don't think it's, I don't think it does Falatau mm. any good because he's coming in from cold or from international service. And I don't think it does the guys that have got you into that position any good. So I think there's a little bit of a team selection issue there. Before you Back get, on, before you sorry, get John. Joseph, JV, I think, I think you're right. And I think we've got so many international players and we bemoan that. And I think we almost, the integration of those guys back into the squad is something that Hooper's talked about at length. But when it comes to it, he just throws them in. And he throws them in, yeah. He, he, you know, he talks about, you know, we need to kind of make sure they're ready and we need to make sure they're up to speed and have recovered. But as soon as the game selection is, he's like, yeah, in you go. And, and you're right. There's guys that have been playing well that we can allow to kind of merge them, merge them back in. Yeah. Um, now, I'll just very, I won't talk about Steve Diamond again, right? Uh-huh. One of the things that I think Bath have suffered with in the past, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, is their injury rates. Their injury rates have been super, super unfortunate. Look at the amount of time Falatau has spent on the sidelines, under Hill. Now, there's two elements to this. Have they signed players with who they know are going to be injured with bad, in, with bad injury histories? Or are they not looking after them during training? And when I say not looking after them, Dimes uh, used to tell the press regularly, he has 15 plus 15 plus two. That was his squad makeup. And they would do something like a maximum of an hour's worth of contact training every week, broken into 10-minute sessions or six or six-minute sessions, because he wanted to pay his best players more, but have less of them. And I, can you imagine if Bath had the majority of their players available to them all you know, through, throughout? That would be a huge boost, huge boost. Yeah, and I, I think it's injuries combined with, with losing to internationals, which is, you know, unfortunately something we, we can't have, but something which, yeah, has, has plighted us. And then bringing them back in, as we just touched on, has, has, has plighted us again. I'm interested in your thoughts, JB, about, about Joseph, who's another one Tom brought up. Yeah. I think Joseph is having a crisis. I think he's having a real crisis. And I'm not sure I can blame Stuart Hooper for this or anyone else, except for if you re-sign him. And if you do re-sign him, I think you need to re-sign him for a lot less money. Here's what I think is going on. Again, can't substantiate it, except outside of what the player said. But... In his press appearance, Jonathan Joseph was talking about wanting to be a second pair of eyes, second pair of hands, a distributor. And I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking, God, no. Not because I don't think he shouldn't be doing it, but because that's not what, not, that's not what you've paid for. So if I wanted Jonathan, if I think of what Jonathan Joseph is right now, and I think about how much money I would part to have him in my squad, I don't know about you boys, but I'm thinking the Jonathan Joseph about two years ago, blistering outside break, great defence, tremendous player. What I'm not thinking of is Jonathan Joseph playing like like Josh Josh Matavesi. And I wonder... Yeah, God. Or, or Cameron Redpath. You know, we've yeah. got enough ball players in that back line. We don't need another one. That's exactly, exactly it. And part of me is thinking, okay, he's been dropped. He knows what he is, which is a phenomenal, a phenomenal athlete, a very fast athlete, and that speed does go with age. And I wonder if he's looking for another string to his bow. And as such, he's sitting on the outside of patterns, ready to distribute and not doing Jonathan Joseph stuff. Because I don't know about, don't know about you, but when I saw Max Clark play in that position, I thought, yes, that's a 13. He looks absolute dynamite. Or, or when I saw Will Joseph or whatever Jonathan Joseph's brother play, come off the bench for London Irish and make an outside break. And I thought, I haven't seen Jonathan Joseph do that in two or three seasons. And they kind yeah. of run very similarly. So, um, yeah, there's a proven track record of, of London Irish to Bath. So, so maybe a, a straight swap with Joseph. I, Joseph. Think, I think as well, playing, playing outside centre, there's a big difference 
trying to play like Jonathan Joseph did at his best. There's a big difference playing outside Reese Priestland doing what he does and playing outside George Ford. And we mentioned him earlier, Kyle Eastman. And, yeah. you know, that was when Jonathan Joseph was at his very, very best. And, you know, we've at times looked completely out of ideas in attack. Priestland will just sit deep. Um, he'll want to kick it or he'll just ship it on. And, and Joseph's there just trying to beat people in a phone box when there's no pace on the ball and, and he's, he's just not able to get on an outside shoulder. So I, I do feel for him a little bit, but equally, he's, he's not put his hand up often, often enough. And you can, you, can, you can watch a whole game and at the end of it be like, oh, Jonathan Joseph was playing in that. He was completely anonymous uh, throughout the whole thing. So there was a game a few weeks back and I watched it because I always watch Bath. Like they are box office to me. I always have to watch what drama's going down next. And he was very prominent, but for passing the ball, usually from a fairly static position. I thought, I thought that's very unusual. Bath were whipping it side to side as they tend to without much uh, results. And yeah, it, that just stuck with me. And then when he came and did his presser, I thought, ah, that is why he, why he is doing that. So I don't know what's going on, going on with Jonathan Joseph. And it, I actually think it might be to a point now where you think, okay, he needs to reset and do what he's good at and see if he can find some form. Or maybe he needs to experiment being a 12 with somebody else for less money. Well, yeah. do, we, do we think maybe that um, our, our newest recruit um, who, was, who was up in the stands, Danny Cipriani, do we think that maybe he is someone who would bring out you know, that something better in, in Jonathan Joseph than maybe Reese Preeson's able to, being the player that he is? Well, I don't know his answer. I, I, I do not know. So, when do you want to do Cipriani now? Let's do Cipriani a bit. Let's do something. Right. I reckon. I, I think we just want. Yeah, yeah. I, I just want to kind of cap off. I guess the the chat about the coaches and, and Hooper in particular. And, oh, the media. I mean, the media thing's interesting. Yeah, the, the media thing is interesting, and I, I, I think Jay, you've had some some experience of of, of, of Hooper and, and the media. So I don't know if you wanted to touch on that. Yeah, sure. So um, I questioned Stuart last week in the media session and I got a strong rebuke from Bath that I asked the wrong questions, I guess, or they were um, too personal in, in their nature. I, d- I don't think they were, and I've not spoke about this on any of my channels because, um, well, I gave Bath over a week to get back to me. So, you know, I sent the email back saying, look, let, let, let's discuss this. They haven't, so I may as well talk about it now. So I did start asking him thing, questions like, if you were the owner of Bath, what questions would you have for yourself right now? And the answer was remarkable. It was, well, we are currently going through a process to formulate questions. I was like, come off it. So I, you know, I work in financial services for my day job. And I can tell you, a process needs to be written down. So does he have a process somewhere which dictates, well, the process for formulating questions to ask in the off-season? That was just, for me, that epitomized everything, really. Because he should have been honest. He should have just been straight honest as to you know, what, uh, what he thinks about the performance this year. Not, we're gonna, not that he doesn't know when he needs to formulate, the, formulate the, right, the right questions. The next question I asked him was something along the lines of, I'd need to watch the, watch the tape again or look back at my notes. It's something like, without the process, just tell me, looking at your losses, do you think that's a good return for the players that you've got? And he said it was nothing to do with the players. So I asked him, is it about the coaching? To which he said, you can't silo off coaching, players and systems. And if you look at Bristol, a team which are very good, uh, Bristol mix them up nicely. So I asked him again, like, well, is it because you can't mix these things? You think they're all good? I 
think I agree with you there. Is it because you can't mix them? And I just felt we went on this dance around and round and round without him actually to say, I mean, if he'd, if he'd have told me the reason we're rubbish this year is because we've had a lot of guys out and it's very hard to integrate them back, back into the team. I think that's all that I needed to hear, really. I think I could have taken that on face value, but it's this continual uh, square dance that you've got to do. And this is your point, isn't it? If you're talking to the media, well, talking to the media is the way that you talk to your fans. You don't talk to your fans directly. Hmm. You can't get any kind of accountability from him. And I don't think he, I don't think he's really like that. I just think he, I just think he thinks he's playing a game and he's playing a smart game and he's not. He just needs to tell us what he actually thinks without the management speak. Yeah, exactly. Use the media. As I said, use the media. Stop seeing it as an enemy and and kind of harness it to, to, to how, to how, to, to, to kind of, invigorate your fans you know Bath fans we're not like you know we're not looking for something kind of you know that's going to blow our minds we're just looking for something honest and just looking for something that, that we can actually believe and, and mm. when we listen to him kind of speak pre-game post-game in the week I just don't believe it and, and it's just so disheartening and so dis, dis, disillusioning yeah and yeah, yeah <laughs> and you know like I don't know if you know this JB but I think Bath have been trying to address this point a little bit and they've been doing these supporters evenings where members like myself and G can, it's essentially a Zoom call and they go through and they show a bit of tape and Hooper kind of goes through it and, and, and talks about it. And they are a little bit more open than kind of the, the, the normal media sessions. And they had, um, they've had Neil Hatley been on the calls as well. And in contrast to Hooper, He's a guy that when he speaks, it's it's genuine. He's you know he's he's a rugby man. He's not media trained. He just tells it how it is, and he you know he's he's not often as as, as polished, but he he just seems much more credible and genuine when talking about coaching than Hooper. And you'd expect that he's a coach yeah. of rugby. Um, and I I, I just, yeah, I, and I just don't understand why they don't. Um, get Neil Hatley in front of the the microphone because I think that would go a long way to to kind of um, answering some of the questions more directly and kind of restoring a bit of faith because he, he does that so much better. Yeah. yeah, the biggest danger for Bath. This is genuine though. The biggest danger for Bath is that Hooper is being genuine and he thinks his point of difference is the fact that he's been on an MBA or whatever it is for management. And he's trying to apply what he has learned on that course to rugby. And this is how he's doing it. That to me is your doomsday scenario. So I'm hoping that that isn't actually what is going on. I'm hoping that he's very different outside of me, outside of media appearances to what he is um, to to his players. Because if he's talking like that to his players, the, the whole project is completely lost. How can you respond to that positively? It's such a, a weird message having to decipher all, all this stuff. Mm. So I, 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 I really hope it isn't genuine. I, 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 th- I think that's absolutely spot on. I think, you know, hopefully as, as you say, speaking to the players that you speak to Jay and kind of the players that, that we speak to, unless they're lying as well, it does seem like there is kind of more to him behind the scenes. So I think, I think that is hopeful, but I, I, I just think that unless we, unless we see it in the media, the, the, the growing, the growing disgruntled nature of fans, I think, I think will eventually tell. And, and I think they are the leash for these guys, Hooper, Hatley, I, I think he's becoming increasingly shorter. And I think kind of to highlight the, the changes that, that I think I would make, and I think, I think you're probably in agreement with this, Tom, and then JB, I think 
we'll come to you to see what see kind of what where you would go at the end of the season. I, I think first of all we need a new attack coach. Um, I think yeah. we've seen that that Gervin Dempsey hasn't had a big enough impact, and I think we need a new attack with a new attack coach with a bigger voice. Um, so someone that's going to have more influence on the game plan um, and kind of utilise the, the backs that we've got. I think we need a, a new and designated defence coach. Whoever that is, you know, I don't know, but they will have a better idea. So get someone in, allow Hatley to focus on forwards. Um, and then I think, and kind of head coach. And then I think we give them one more year. And I think we give this group um, with those guys one more year. Um, if we don't see market improvements, because, you know, easy to forget, last season semi-finalists by hook or by crook at the end of the season but we were semi-finalists and we definitely felt like there was improvement from when Black had a left to where we were at the end of last season now unquestionably there's been regression without without a question so I think one more season is deserved and I think if we don't see clear progression from this season getting to the heights that we were last season then I think we we revamp the whole thing yeah I think you pretty much got everything right there the, the... The only options I can see for Hooper is stepping away, uh, as in from the club, which I don't think is likely. Going upstairs again, which is a, which definitely a possibility. Um, what you've said, I think, is the most likely, but I'd like to see that combined with some sort of feedback from Hooper as to who is it that has really influenced you as a coach? Who would you like to work with? Get some retired bloke uh, who has done it all and seen it all just to be on a Zoom call for him or just to you know, help, help co- coach him through. And the most unlikely one is get rid of him for a year. Send him on sabbatical. Let him do the whole Stuart Lancaster going and finding himself with the NFL and the NHL and then bring him back in a year's time and just say, look, because I thought about Hooper today and I was thinking, this reminds me a little bit of the financial crash, obviously, which is when the financial crash happened in 2007, they fired all the bosses of the banks. They just all got rid of them. And the irony of that is these are the guys that made the mistakes and they know what mistakes not to make again. And I would think if you bought Hooper in right now, having made all of these mistakes, say if you did it at Gloucester and you bought him in, I think he'd do all right. I think he'd be fine. But the fact of the matter is he's made mistakes with you guys. So, you know, like you say, either keep him and, and, and support him, support him properly though, or maybe look at some sort of sabbatical. You know, let him go, you know, cut, you know un, unpaid, obviously, let him go around for 12 months, come back and see what he's learned. I, th- I think the fear, well, not the fear, but I think many Bath fans, when he got the DOR role, and it was clear that it was a slightly different DOR role to some DOR roles in, in the league, I think a lot of them thought, well, eventually, you know, the buck will, will stop with him because of the title. And so they'll push him up and then they'll have, they'll kind of push Hatley up in turn or, or bring someone in there to kind of manage it. And I think we're potentially getting to that stage, but I, I would give it, give it one more year. Like, he's like a David Humphreys more. Exactly, exactly. Um, and then get someone like Ackerman to come in and, and, and properly sort it out. And I think they kind of hoped that that would be the case with Hatley, but I think the, the, the lines have become blurred between, between who, who does what. And I think the most remarkable thing that came out of those, those members' evenings that we spoke about, Tom, was the fact that Hooper admitted that he picked the teams and then Hatley, in the same call, said, I am solely responsible for the performance of the team. And it was like, I can't, uh, both, can how, 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 how can that work? How can you coach a team all week? Because in a, a micro environment, it, it baffles me. In our club constitution at Talk H, the captain picks the team. So the captain picks the team. How do you coach a team which you can't pick? Like, mm. how do you, 
you know, you're working with some jumpers, or you're working with some guy, some ball carriers, but then they don't get picked for the weekend. You think, well, hang on a minute. I, I, I'm sure they've got a great relationship, Hatley and, Hatley and Hooper, and, it's, and they pick whoever, you know, whoever they agree with. But it just doesn't strike me as right like that. No. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a timing point as well, wasn't it? Because Hatley was away with England at the World Cup. And so Hooper was kind of helping out with some of the coaching in that initial part of the season, obviously picking the team. And then Hatley's clearly come and Hooper's kept that element of, of picking the team. And yeah, that, that, that seems very strange. I think his role is clearly not one for coaching. He, he's done some good stuff, I think, with managing the, the squad and um, retaining players, new signings and letting some guys go who I think, um, you know, might have been tough decisions at the time, but were, were probably good calls um, looking back. I think he does that aspect of it pretty well. And the players clearly have, um, you know, he has their respect and that's all important when you're talking about contracts and, and you know, the long-term futures of, of players. But he's not a coach and he needs to step away, I think, from, from not only picking the team, but also the ongoing media and discussion of the, the gameplay because that is Neil Hatley's area. Yeah, and, and I think a, a point about, about both of these things, I think a point about the team selection and guys moving away is something which, which really frustrated me this week at, at, against Sale. And, you know, me and you, Tom, talk an awful lot about, about Bath Rugby. Um, and I think in the week, I jokingly said that it was a sackable offence to, to select Will Chudley at Scrum Half on, on Friday night. And, and obviously I don't mean that, but playing... <laughs> not only Chudley, but any of the guys leaving, in my mind, is, is, is just criminal. That's it, yes. I, I just don't understand why... Like having it to Chudley. I, I like him. But yeah, well, I see what you mean. But, but, okay, he's going to Worcester. We're not helping yeah, yeah. Worcester out, right? We've got a young guy, Ollie Fox, who's fit. He's fit. And he's played a couple of times this season, a couple of times last season. He's 21, 22. He probably doesn't have a very long contract. Let's find out if he's good enough. This is perfect. Yeah. Because, because not only are we... <laughs> You know, we're not playing very well and we probably aren't going to win with Chudley. But also, okay, we're scrapping for top eight. You know, if we don't make top eight, we're Challenge Cup. Is that the end of the world? You know, go and get humped by three better sides in the Champions Cup or have a chance of of going somewhere in the Challenge Cup next season. Is that the end of the world? Why not find out about him? Why not find out more about Bailey instead of um, Priestland at at fly half? And and, and even Mercer, who I know is the kind of toughest one for for Bar fans to hear, but unfortunately he's not going to be here. So, so, you know, the quicker we can get someone like Jacko Kutsia in, who, who, who is at the club, or, or, or play a back row, which is that going to be here this season? I, I, you know, I, I just can't understand that, that team selection. I really don't get it, Tom. I think it's easier to say in our position um, as fans discussing it than, than if you're Stuart Hooper and it's actually your, your job on the line. You know, when it comes to the end of the season and he sits down with Tarkin McDonald, his boss, and they look at whether Bath finished 10th in the, in, or 9th in the table or, um, you know, 6th or 7th. That's, that's ultimately probably a big deal in the discussion that, that they have. And if there were games during the season, even towards the end of the season, where he wasn't picking his best side with the players available, that suddenly becomes, I think, a pretty uh, difficult conversation to have. So I, I, I understand your point. And I think sitting here, it's, it's, it's maybe an easier thing to, to say than actually if it was your job on the line and, and, and like it is for Hooper. Yeah, but... I guess I guess that's only if he fears that that he might be let go at the end of the season. If he kind of has the backing, you know, the long term plan, which 
member Tarkin McDonald's open letter supporters, this long-term vision, three, five years, then then and he feels like he has that backing, then then I feel like he has to play those those young guys. It's out. feeling it's feeling very long term at the moment. And I would just question how long term um McDonald and Craig um actually are gonna allow it to be. Yeah, one guy who who kind of is at the club, boys, and we've touched on him um, we've touched on him briefly, but I, I really want to hear your guys' thoughts, Tom. I don't know if yours have changed from, from when he signed. Obviously, Danny Cipriani, we saw in the stands on Friday night, and JB, a guy who yeah, you would have watched at sale and obviously all over the Premiership. Tom, if I come to you first, I think when, when he signed Cipriani, um, you were, I think, hesitant to, 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 to be as positive as a lot of Bath fans on, on Twitter. Are you... You know, are you starting to to be persuaded that this might be a good thing, or or, or are you still against it? I guess I'm still pretty skeptical. I mean, now it's happening. I'm obviously going to get behind it, and I I want it to work. I don't just want it to fail because I I think it's it's potentially a um, a bad idea. But I I do I am just still concerned about the impact that he will have on the the kind of environment of the club, and I think there's a you know a, a genuine chance, a material chance that it doesn't go to plan. He falls out with some guys in, in the club, if it's Gervin Dempsey, because he wants to be a, the attack coach, uh, for example, and he leaves under a cloud and we end up in um, a worse position than, 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 than we are. I also think the other big risk is, is, you know, talk about Stuart Hooper. He's pinned his colours to the mast and said, we want to sign a 10. That's, that's, we want a long-term option. And it, it, that's, that's kind of the missing piece in the puzzle in our, game and it, it almost feels like a bit of a gamble that Hooper's making it could pay off and Cipriani could um, you know he's clearly very talented and he could be the, the missing piece in the puzzle but if it doesn't pay off and something you know as I say he leaves under a cloud suddenly it's Hooper's call um, and I think you know questions would, would be asked um, about was it was it a risk worth worth taking and I think that that's very dangerous potentially for Stuart Hooper yeah, I completely agree with that. What is the end game here? I mean, mm. if Bath somehow win with Cipriani at the helm, I say somehow win as if it's not like it's happened. It is like it's happened. Cipriani is a wonderful player. And I don't think you've got much worries about him falling out with people. Uh, maybe maybe a coach, maybe. Um, but from what I understand, yeah, he's, a, he's, a, he's all right uh, um, around the camp. We're not talking about the Danny Cipriani of old. That, that is for sure. Um, with Hooper if he wins with Cipriani Cipriani gets all of the credit if Cipriani manages to go completely AWOL which I don't think he will then then Hooper gets all the blame this seems like a lose-lose I think I would wait until Andre Pollard came up or someone someone like that the other thing is and I have a little bit of insight here which is Cipriani swears blind that he taught Paul Deacon about attacking rugby. And there's lots of people that would claim the opposite, which is Paul Deacon and his rugby league background taught Danny Cipriani everything he knows about attacking rugby. One of those statements is true. I'm not sure sure which one. But the end result is, when you get Danny Cipriani playing for your team, you know what you're going to get. You're going to look exactly like Gloucester. You'll run the same patterns and it'll be Danny Cipriani's magic that will be able to pick out the various options in that pattern. The problem is when people got on top of Gloucester, they got beaten quite quite badly. And he always seemed to get them to a certain level, mm. whether it be Wasps uh, or Gloucester. 
but never beyond that. Now that could be unlucky. And I kind of think if you're making the playoffs every year, don't worry too much. You know, you haven't got the worst hand dealt to you in the, in the league. In fact, any team making the playoffs every year, settle for that. You could have been Exeter because the Exeter made the playoffs every year and didn't win it for the longest time. So I, I wouldn't worry too, too much about it, but there seems to have been a ceiling as to where Danny Cipriani can take, can take a team. That said, here is the important point for you boys. And I really do think it's important. Your squad is made up of a lot of high-profile individuals. And part of coming to Bath is, A, the fact that it's an amazing city with all the heritage and the team's brilliant. But B, most importantly, is you feel when you sign for Bath, there is a good chance that you'll win something. Even now, if you sign for Bath for next season, you think it'll be different next year. That's why it's so painful being a Bath fan, because you always think next year it will be different. Mm. Cipriani does give you that ability to think next year it will be different. And that's going to be important for when you re-sign players because players do not want to play for a team where they do not think that they can win. They don't want to, they don't want to re-sign and they don't want to come from different clubs. So just the ability to say, look, we're going to be top four next year or we're going to challenge for top four. That should be enough to keep you competitive in the, in the salary cap because players will take a slight discount in order to win. Yeah, I actually hadn't thought of that. And I think we've been worried, haven't we, that that players are going to leave because there is no chance of winning. And I think, you know, it can only go so long with the attitude of, oh, if you go to Bath, it'll be different next year. You guys joke for forever about Gloucester's year being next year. Yeah. And, and, you know, that can only last so long. And we look at where Gloucester are now. And I think, you know, we worry that the, the exits of Mercer and, and Stuke are going to be followed by bigger names like Abano and, and um, you know, Watson, for example. So yeah. having Cipriani, if that does kind of lure players and more importantly, in my mind, keep players, then then that is good. And yeah, I, I guess I'm talking myself into it because, you know, I'm going to because Bath are crap at the moment and we've got a guy sitting in the stands who I've seen being very good. And I think my worry was, my worry was, can he still do it? And I, I'm not necessarily like you, Jim. I'm not really worried about the, the behind the scenes thing. I do think he's grown up, but I just thought, towards the end of his Gloucester run, it just, whether it was they'd reached that ceiling or whether he started to drop, I don't know. But I just thought he'd taken them certainly as far as, as, as he could take them. And they looked a much better side without him. And the way he left, obviously, after one game of the season, I worry that, that maybe his, his, his kind of powers to pick that pass, as you say, in that attacking structure have, have kind of gone. And, and if that is the case and it doesn't start to click quickly, how will he then kind of adapt his game and how will, will, will the coaches be able to adapt to, 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 to Cipriani? I think that could be a worry, but yeah, I'm, I'm fed up of losing and, and kind of I'm going to go into next season hopeful that, that Cipriani can be the man, not just, to, you know, obviously the point that I've always made is not just for this season, but also then to help Orlando Bailey, who is clearly the, what the club think is the future at Fly Half, help him get him into that system. And then whether he can take the system to, to a different level, it would be impressive because Cipriani is such a good player. But I think helping Bailey is clearly, you know, not something you need to, you should be signing a player for. That's what Gervin Dempsey should be doing. But I think if he does do that, then, then I think it would be fantastic. Would you boys prefer to see, I'll just give you some options. So guys have signed for other clubs this year. Freddie Burns. No, no, no. no. <laughs> uh, Williams going to Worcester. No, no. no. Uh, the last one was, who was your last fly half that I had in my mind? Uh, it, it's escaped me. There, there, there's been, oh, Hastings to Gloucester. Mm. 
Of yeah, course, no, he was, was, was at Bath. He was yeah. at Bath. Yeah. We had yeah. a long, long, long list of players we've let go who have gone on to do good things. Yeah. Oh well. Oh, well. I think. Yeah, I think. I think you boys are spot on. I think the only thing I'd add is that you know the season that Bath fans look back on as being as being in, in recent memory a great season was obviously under Mike Ford with with George Ford pulling the strings at ten and George Ford for the fantastic player he is. One thing that he does did so well for Bath and does at Leicester now is make other players better. And I yeah. think Reese Priestland is very very good at what he does, and that is kicking. Um, managing the territory and ultimately kicking kicking sticks, obviously having the record as as you were saying, Jay. I think Danny Cipriani on his day can bring out bring out the best in players outside him to a far greater degree than someone like Reese Priestman can. And one of the frustrations that that basketballers often talk about is you've got Watson, Thokinosegan, McConaughey, Muir, Joseph, De Glanville, etc. Outside, but they don't get the ball. Sometimes you'll, you'll look at the, the, the stats and they've, they've touched the ball two or three times in a game. And, you know, they maybe should be going looking for it more, but they're not allowed to because Priestland does play that, that kind of game. And I think if Cipriani is at his best, he will, he will bring out um, the best in, 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 in or, or at least, um, you know, uh, some, some, some better performances in, in, the, in those dangerous players. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. Really, I think Link... Link between the backs and the forwards. I think you know, you've spoken to JV about a few things you found remarkable that Bath players have said this season. I think the most remarkable was was Cameron Redpath saying that he doesn't feel that there's a link between the backs and forwards. And this is a guy that, that's kind of very new at the club, so so probably you know. And I, I know that they weren't too happy about him saying that, but I think that's a remarkable thing to to admit. And I think often they do look really disjointed. And I think Cipriani and as I mentioned, uh, an attack, a backs coach with a bigger voice. You know more influence in the team. I think can be can can kind of you know help to remedy that. I will say this though: I don't think Gloucester's forwards look very good playing for Cipriani. You knew what they were going to do. They set up you know a little pod of three. They'd run into traffic and they get smashed because that's all Danny wants them to do. Just take you know take some numbers, take some numbers, allow them to play as pattern. So yeah. Okay. As for Cam Redpath, um, yeah, I, I mean he can say what he likes. But the way he has played at Bath is light years ahead of where, how he played at Sale. So I think you should just be grateful that he's somewhere that he can unleash his undoubted talents. Because for whatever reason it is, he looks like a different different player for you guys. But what what happened at Sale? Because we were kind of under the impression that he was they were pretty disappointed to let him go, and you know injuries and and uh, maybe had meant he didn't get enough game time. But we found it bizarre that we were able to get him. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think there's a few things that happened there. Number one, I think Eddie Jones interfered. And what I mean by that is, dual qualified, Eddie Jones is like, get, get, get him into camp. And what happens is when you get a player into camp who's a kid, when they come out of camp, they think that they are worth a lot more money. And if you've signed a contract with a club and that club doesn't tend to think you are worth a lot more money, well then, you know, you are going to look for that opportunity elsewhere. Bath tended to agree with Cam Redpath's own assessment of his talents I think history will prove that both Bath and Cam Redpath were undoubtedly right. So I think that I think that would be be the first one. Also, I don't think Sale are particularly keen to hold on to people that don't want to be there. If you want to leave Sale, feel free because they'll go out and get well, a South African presumably. Um, but you know they they will get someone else of equal quality, and they're, they're not interested in, in keeping players that are um, that 
are not willing to stay. But ultimately, you know, I think Bath paid him a lot more money than what he's getting paid at sale. And it's a short career. I certainly don't blame him for it. I would have done the same, done the same thing. And looking at how he's playing now, he's an international, all those Brilliant. things. Hell of a player. Yeah, I mean, he's remarkable. I mean, we spoke about Bath Lions and yeah, he was on our list and we're probably biased, but he's, yeah, he's, he's an incredible player and lucky to have him. And I think he could definitely do a job at, at, at fly half if needed. I, I wonder what, what did the sale guys think his best position was? Great question. So he was playing 13 for sale and I think they saw him as like some version of Henry Slade. Yeah. That's how I think they saw him. The coaches used to say, his academy coaches, they just don't see him making mistakes. He's just head and shoulders above everybody else. And that was his thing. Consistency. There again, I don't know what the age difference is between him and Luke James, but in my opinion, Luke James played far, far better first-team rugby than Cam Redpath did. He had his chance, and he just didn't really settle. Now, maybe that's because Van Rensburg plays at 12th sale at the time, and he does a certain job which is not easy to replicate, and also, Sam James is such a massive influence on the sale team that you can't really just get rid of Sam James and throw in a different player who does something different. So I think there's numerous factors. I just, looking back at it, I think Sale will regret it. But on the other hand, I think they quite like the decision they made because it shows that they stand for something. They have an identity. And if you don't want to be there, you don't need to be there. It's not a problem for them. Yeah, and a fantastic game Cam had on, on Friday night, particularly the first half. Great, great try. Um, Jay, thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, no, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to cover. Uh, no, no one invites me anywhere, so I, I, it was a privilege to be here. Uh, we'll have to have you on again soon. Uh, maybe when the, the result of the game goes the other way, we'll spend an hour talking about that. But yeah, no. it's all like we've put, put Bath Rugby to, to rights there. Um, Tom, thank you as ever for, for joining me. Um, Follow us on, on social media as well, at Bath Rugby Play, and get in touch with your thoughts. Um, I guess less about the game this week and more about the, the direction or lack of direction at the club. Where does the blame lie? Um, in a blame pie chart, who has the most blame attached to their name? Um, follow us on, on socials, I say, and review and subscribe to us on, on iTunes. No podcast next week. Uh, a week off for, for the Bath boys. You know, we should be playing Leicester at Twickenham. Uh, if we could throw into a line out, we might be. But yeah, a week off for them and a week off for us. We'll be back in two weeks' time, usual slot, Tuesday mornings, um, to talk all things blue, black and white. Hopefully a win to talk about as well. Um, but in the meantime, stick behind the boys through thick and thin. <laughs>